You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello everyone and welcome to the Arsenal Way. Now we have a very special show for you today, a very special video. I'm joined by Guy Clark, who you all know, but we have a very special guest for you, Dave Seager. Now, of course, he's the owner of Gunnerstown.com, but more importantly, he is an author and his fourth book is about to be released. Dave, how are you? And just want do you just want to give an introduction of what to, what the book will be about? Um, quirky. Um, yeah, I can do. Um, Arsenal for everyone. A, a, a good way to talk about it, introduce it would be to say that it wasn't always called Arsenal for everyone. Um, when, when I decided to write the book, uh, you know, interviewing lots of our disabled fans about their support of the club and give it some context, it was actually going to be called Gunning Through Adversity. The reason it's now called Arsenal for everyone is obviously because Arsenal Football Club decided to get involved, which was a blessing. Uh, there were two chapters in particular, that, um, one with the dis- uh, disability access officer, Alan Francis, and one with Luke Howard, who runs the sensory room. And obviously, because they were with Arsenal staff, Arsenal wanted to vet those chapters. Uh, and when I sent them those chapters in, they they liked them so much, they said, look, can we get involved? So, so um, it made sense to change uh, the name of the book to Arsenal's mantra of, of, of Arsenal for everyone. Uh, and the reason it's important is because that's actually been Arsenal's mantra since 2008. And some of the fan base probably don't even know it until it's on their shirts this year. Um, but it's been there since 2008. Uh, and that's not a criticism of the club. The club said that... The, and it's, it's, us, it's us as fans. We've probably read about the sensory room at the time it was launched in 2017 and forgotten about it, you know, two weeks later, if it doesn't affect us. And that's the thing, isn't it? You, 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 you might read about all the good stuff the club's doing, but it's sort of in one ear and out the other because it doesn't affect you. Um, and, and they thought this book would be a way of getting the message across to a wider audience that it, you know, it, it may not affect you personally, but have a think about this. And it and also showcases just how much Arsenal Football Club do and, and and they do far more than a lot of their their peers in the Premier League. Trust me on that. Yeah, and you mentioned how Arsenal are playing their part and I believe you're having a, a launch with Mertesacker on Saturday, and Saturday, I believe, at the Armory. And just how much of a part have Arsenal and the players played in the making of this book? Well, they, as I say, the, 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 the comms team got involved about... When I submitted those chapters, probably April, May time. And since then, they've been actively involved. Uh, the guy who originally ran the project has actually left the club a, a, a full-time job uh, with a PR agency. But Rob Forden, who's one of the senior comms managers at the club, has sort of taken over. And obviously, I've been dealing with the club side for the communications and then on the retail side as well, because obviously they're buying a certain number of books from my publisher for their own uses on the website for Arsenal and the shop. Um, but because they sort of turned it into their event and these are their books because they bought them, you know, it's not my books, if you like, or my publisher book selling on Saturday is Arsenal stock um, they obviously want that to go with a bang so I suggested it you know given it's a club event at the end of the day it's nice to put coming by the book and, uh, and let's face it nobody wants my signature <laughs> uh, so you know it's, it's, it's nice if they can get some you know a celebrity or two um, and per Mertesacker it's easier to get people who aren't involved on a match day obviously because it is literally straight off the game and the only first team player as we know is, is, is not uh, fit is Granit Xhaka 
but they've opted for Per and as I said to Guy uh, just before on off air, they are hoping to, there'll be another guest as well. But I can't confirm at this stage who that is. I know who they want it to be, but I'm not even if I even if I, it's not confirmed. So, <laughs> but I'm hoping there's going to be more than Per Mertesacker and me at the launch from the club. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there de- there definitely will be. Bailey said there before it's it's a fourth book you you've written regarding Arsenal. What was kind of the the inspiration for you and, and wanting to kind of delve into I suppose a subject field really that would have been prior to, to getting involved in this something that is is, is I suppose more alien yeah, it, to you it's really totally I mean it's it's complex in my head but it's probably quite simple to explain in that um I obviously had personal trauma in my life with losing my son and, and my son and myself you know very heavily linked together in football terms and Arsenal terms and just felt that in the aftermath, I just felt my relationship with Arsenal and football had changed. You know, not in that I less, you know, less love for the club, but I just found the defeats didn't affect me as much, and I missed that sort of, you know, interaction, you know, around the games and everything. So I, I just, I was trying to get my writing mojo back, and I was just trying to think of, of a subject matter that fitted, you know, that if you like that that frame of mind and that frame of mind of feeling my context was different in relation to football. So I just thought about talking to people who. Through no fault of their own, also had a completely different, you know, perspective or, or frame of reference to football, and that's not comparing grief with disability in any way, shape, or form. It's just people who, you know, have a different way of supporting, having to have a different way of supporting, a different way of loving the team, and how they they follow Arsenal, and also that combined with the fact I sat next to Alex Brooker for years. He's a good friend, and watching his documentary last year was very inspiring as well and that sort of you know, that was probably the, the final sort of catalyst that pushed me in this direction for the for this project yeah of course and you mentioned um the inspirations and just how important were the, the arsenal disabled supporters association for your creation of the book was they a major factor in re- the reason they why were really, to- they were they were i knew about them um i did you know i i knew um of their work but not in any detail uh, and the way the way they got involved was because alan francis who's the club's disability access officer suggested that i speak to the arsenal disabled sport association right at the beginning of the project at the start of this year and they were kind enough to send a brief you know if you like this is this is dave seager he has an idea for a book would you like to get involved and that was sent out to the whole membership now there's about 1300 purple members at arsenal but there's about 250 270 members of, of the arsenal disabled sports association and thankfully quite a few of those members many of them actually committee members who work really hard with the club came forward wanting to get involved so and from then on they were sort of you know i kept them in the loop of everything i was doing uh, thereafter so now they were they were very very helpful at the outset and uh, and supported me all the way through Talking of kind of the, the book and I suppose delving into it's the characters who make it and kind of the guys that you speak to, you really kind of get the sense of the stories and actually the way in which they support Arsenal and whether it's blind fans of vibrations within the stadium and the, 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 the sort of we all remember and all sort of feel giddy and hazy about kind of those first memories of going to the football and taking in all those senses, but you really do get the power of the senses that these guys kind of feel from reading yeah. their stories. Well, I hope, I hope if, if, if that is the case, Guy, I'm glad because it means I, <laughs> I did my job because that's certainly how I felt doing the interviews, but obviously it's another thing portraying that in the written word, but no, I mean, in- incredible stories. Um, incredible things that you don't think about um but uh, but the overall thing is that uh, that what something we can all relate to is being part of a community you know as arsenal supporters or whatever whichever club you support um but it's that 
when you go into the stadium, you're just an Arsenal supporter. You know, you, yeah. you, 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 what they want, and that's why they want the equal access, you know, they want that accessibility to be addressed, and it has been by Arsenal and Mirrors, but you just want to be considered another gooner. Uh, and and that's and that's the passion and that's the love they have, and that's and that's what they want, and that's what they feel, you know. And then they leave the stadium, and unfortunately, it's back to dealing with you know harsh realities in some cases, but it's that feeling of belonging and being part of something that, that's what football does. Well, for all of us, football in a way is escapism, isn't it? That that 90 yeah. minutes, that two hours you're in and around the stadium and you're soaking it up and enjoying it. It is a case of leave your troubles at the door, whatever it be, and, and enjoy the football in, in whichever way it is. And you, you do get a sense of that, definitely. Yeah, good. <laughs> I'm, a relie- I'm relieved. <laughs> Absolutely. And I've seen pictures of players like Ian Wright on the book, Hector Bellerin. Just how important has, you know, because I see Ian Wright quite frequently, and just how important of a figure he is. Oh, I know yeah. what Arsenal fans love him, so just for you. Yeah, I just, I mean, I'd love, I'd love him to read the book and I'd love him to get involved. I mean, I, I have asked indirectly and it hasn't happened yet. And not because, just because I love him, but he has been incredibly important to so many of the journeys of the of the fans that are, are the heroes of the book. And uh, yeah, he, he is an inspirational figure in more ways than one. Um, but you you have you have fans who 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 would who would have met him as he came in in Highbury, you know, ran out on the pitch, and he would stop and say hello to those fans in that often in the rain, you know, in the old disabled enclosure, um, and and then then he meets them years later and he remembers them. <laughs> you know, that's just the rare quality of a man that you know. And oh, you know, haven't seen you for years. Haven't seen you since the old disabled enclosure. I mean, that that just wows people, and that's what he's like. Um, I have met him, and you know he comes across like that when I've met him. But yeah, I mean, I've only met him briefly. But those people, yeah, there's many. He's probably the most featured Arsenal player. He probably features in five or six of the chapters, you know, in various people's stories, either because they've met him and he, or he's inspired them to support the club. You know, which is uh, which is a powerful thing, isn't it? And certainly, you know, if you take Jordan Jarrett Bryan's story, you know, being you know, being a black teenager from South East London, you know that we already had as a fan, we had far more black representation than any other team in London, you know, the eighties, you know, and, and it was, it was just something that we were very proud of as fans, but for some people, Ian Wright was the icing. When Ian Wright joined it, it went to another level because he was just this, you know, larger than life character, just like the people that, that you knew in that community. So. Just like, what is the difference between Highbury and the Emirates now? How is the support cost better? Is it better or is it like what? Yeah, well, I mean, in, in it's something that it's a generational thing. In that, I think in in the eighties and nineties, even the early noughties, you know, if you talked about disabled supporters at Arsenal, it would be wheelchair supporters. Um, yeah. You know, certainly even Arsenal at that point hadn't acknowledged, you know, partially sighted or blind or or hard of hearing supporters. It wasn't something that, you know even Arsenal had caught up with and they're ahead of the game in, in most instances. So it really was just that in front of the, the clock end, you know, right at the front, disabled sort of enclosure. <laughs> and it was almost like that, you know, herded into an enclosure. Whereas now, obviously in the brand new stadium, you've got various areas all around the stadium where there's, there's wheelchair access and, and areas for wheelchairs. You've got the audio facility for all the blind and partially sighted fans. You've got... Um, you know, you've got other facilities at the club related to sort of hard of hearing. So it's it's a far wider uh, uh, um, recognition of various disabilities. And that's that's also largely down to the work of the Arsenal Disporters Association as a sort of 
not a pressure group. That's not, well, they might say it. It's not pressure because they're pushing against an open door with Arsenal. Arsenal are very, very keen to listen and keen to, to, to go above and beyond. But they certainly feed ideas and projects, you know, bring, to, bring, bring things to the fore as and when. For example, two years ago, we were the first club in the Premier League to have the sort of BSL real-time facility. So if, if a deaf support is contacting the club, they can do it by video link. They can use BSL's British Sign Language yeah, and, and a person will respond. But at the same time, that's been real-time translated to the person at the club who's actually needs to deal with the inquiry. So using modern technology, you know, in an advanced way, for example. I think one of the next projects to look out for in the stadium is they're talking about they want to get subtitles on the big screens, um, which they're looking at at the moment. You know, either that, Coupled with someone using BSL when they do, you know, the interviews at halftime on the pitch, yeah. mm. they're talking about perhaps putting pressure to have a BSL interpreter there, like we've seen on Strictly. I'm sure you're both Strictly fans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> look, at that smile. look at those smiles. Yeah, you, you, you'll, you'll, you'll be on there in no time, I'm sure. Right? <laughs> <laughs> in terms of, uh, we, we'd all love to see that. In terms of, um, you mentioning kind of obviously Arsenal for everyone and all of that. And, Going even beyond that, we obviously saw the recent example with the game against Leeds United, the young supporter, autistic supporter who was struggling with the noise within the stadium. And you mentioned the sensory room already, but it is kind of those values of the club, which I suppose even if you kind of translate to on-field these days, that ever since Mikel Arteta's come in, he's kind of been a bastion for, I want to kind of integrate those Arsenal beliefs and, and everything like that, those kind of values and I suppose one of kind of the almost the, almost uh, the Arsenal way you might say exactly. yeah you, you, you may well say but and, and I suppose kind of looking at one of the kind of the, the case studies within the, the book Lynn Clark who grew up in a family of Spurs fans but it was kind of that the Arsenal that drew her in that was her initial disability and then obviously <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no yeah, but it no, is a case isn't no, it of, yeah. of what the club what the club is and what it stands for as I say like there was the, with the recent example with the uh incident with the young Leeds fan of just showing actually how important but that that was actually that was actually it was astonishing for me to read that because it was virtually word for word what's in my chapter because you know the chapter where we talk about the sensory room with Luke we also have the mum you know Carly mum of Reggie who that was the experience you know she'd been taken by her father he'd been taken by his father she was desperate to take her son she knew it might be an issue exactly the same as that parent recently against Leeds she went anyway and it was awful you know reggie was hiding under the chairs he kept running up the aisle to get out and exactly the same thing she left at half time there wasn't the steward training in those days whereas now luke not only do we have the sensory room in 2017 and luke will always take only six maybe five or six parents plus children where, where they can take 10 so and they leave that scope for this very instance as we saw against leeds and and so everything he told me and everything carly told me literally played out in real life only a few weeks ago so yeah. fantastic you know uh, you know the, the real the real life values of the club in action yeah most definitely yeah that is that's very intriguing to hear i don't want to you know spoil the book or anything dave but i just want to mm. before we wrap up i don't want to ask one question i just want to see what which story inspired you most like which which where was the gave you the most inspiration in the book Can you just that's, not a, oh, that's not like, fair that's not fair that's not fair um no I, I don't think that's fair um because they all they're all equally inspiring mm. in different ways to be honest i mean there's, there's there's certain you know when people read the michael watkinson chapter which is the penultimate chapter and they read his quote about you know this is a guy who's profoundly deaf from birth and now 
close to blind. You know, part, in daylight, he's probably got 30% vision, an evening game, maybe 15% vision. And and the way he describes what being in that crowd means to him, because you, if you if you weren't speaking to him and you and you heard about him, you'd say, why? Why are you spending your money going to football? And, and just read that chapter and, and people will understand. But yeah, it is, it is, it is the stories. It's like Tom Clements in, in chapter one, who's heavily linked to Panathlon, which is the charity I'm donating some of my royalties to who encourage disabled sport. Uh, it, it, uh, sorry, it's sport, competitive sport in, in disabled schools, but it, his chapter where he, you know, the, that belief that was given to him by Panathlon that he could achieve anything he wanted in sport, despite having cerebral palsy, and he then now at 32, 33 is a qualified cricket coach, football coach, tennis coach. And 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 he had a mentor who he now teaches at the school where he was a pupil. And it reminded me, and I used the parallel in the chapter about the Ian Wright and, and, and his teacher, Mr. Pigeon, because it was just Pigton, sorry. It was very like that. It was like, this guy taught me that I could achieve anything. And I have. And now he's retiring and I'm taking over from him. 20 years later i mean what an incredible story so there's loads of there's loads of stories um but no i wouldn't pick a particular favorite that would be unfair. yeah no it's great how you just unearthing so many great stories that we would not have heard of at all it's just excellent to hear and before we do end the show i just want to get your thoughts on arsenal this season how do you think things are going with arteta with the new regime almost with the new signings how do you think we're doing yeah no i'm you know i mean i think you're uh, I think we could have got alarmist after three games, but you know you played two of the best teams in Europe, so the Brentford was the only hiccup in re- in real terms. But you know it's, we're going in the right direction. Um, it's taking longer than we want it to take. Uh, we've had a ten game unbeaten run, dramatically ended, but individual mistakes. I, I think it, that's that's a blip. I've just written my column for the Sun, um, for Sun fan column this morning. That that's a blip in the road. I think we're on, on the right direction. I think the signings have been a fabulous. I think he's proved a lot of people wrong with with White and Ramsdale in particular. And I wasn't one of the fans who objected to Ramsdale. I was very for it. Um, but, you know, I think he's done very, very well. My, my concern in the next few weeks is probably he's going to have to find a way to rotate uh, Saka and Smith-Rowe. You know, we, we can't get to the point where we're completely reliant on them, yeah, however good they are. Uh, you know, we don't want a situation where we've got young players who are carrying the team in, t- in the, you know, entirely. So I think Smith Rowe, in particular, after England debut, he looked very tired against Liverpool. Yeah. Um, I, I think he might, we may well see him rested uh, on Saturday. But no, generally, I'm pretty happy. I like me, I like Nicola Teta. I always have. Um, you know, he is, as you said earlier, he, he seems to imbue the values that that we love. You know, about Arsenal. Um, he's got a he's got a few of this the Wenger traits in his stubbornness as well, of course, but. You know, all in all, I'm pretty happy with the direction. And, you know, I do think, you know, I do think fourth is completely up for grabs. Mm. Yeah, it does feel like that, doesn't it, this season in mm. terms of how it's played out early doors that actually, I think a lot of us early season, you would have said sixth would have been sort of something that we could have been targeting to get back into European football in the Europa League and then try and maybe win that tournament to get into to the Champions League. But actually, you look at it and this season, it feels as though that squad and the way in which it has started knitting together Mm. Wait and see maybe what the January transfer window offers. But equally, that cohesion you can see that really is getting built up around the team. I think the big decision is he's, he's got to make a decision about who's going to partner Thomas Party to get the best mm. out of yeah. Thomas Party. Because Thomas Party is, you know, we, we you know, he was he obviously wasn't match fit against you know, against Liverpool in my view, but he, he, he is he is a beast of a player. But we can't have him continually sitting in front of the back four. We didn't sign him for that. I know he can do the job, but he's been signed to be. You know, I'm not, I'm not making comparison, but, you know, the Vieira to the Gilberto, yeah. 
we haven't got Gilberto. Um, and Atambi may be that player. Maitland-Niles could be that player. Shaka isn't that player. El Nenny, actually, funnily enough, is that player. You know, but he's obviously going. You know, we just need a top, top quality defensive midfield player. And and whether Maitland-Niles or Sambi can be that, I'm open-minded. But we, we need someone who's going to sit and let Thomas Party roam and rampage. And at the moment, we don't have that. that that's yeah, the, get out and press. Yeah, that was... Yeah, that was one thing watching the Liverpool game for myself was actually, and so much was made of the fact that when we signed him, that that game he played for Atletico Madrid at Anfield as Atletico got through in the Champions League, of what he did in that midfield of, as you say, getting out, triggering presses, pushing on to to kind of the likes of Henderson and even Fabinho. And at times in that game, we're just sort of sitting there and he's sitting in front of our back four offering protection when you know he can do so much more. We we need Fabinho as the player. Yeah. That's yeah, the perfect maybe. example of the player, um, you know, or Fernandinho, you know, 15, you know, five years ago, sorry, not 15 yeah. years ago. Yeah, but that's the sort of player we, we are looking for, you know, Basuma type player, potentially. Somebody, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of them out, plenty of them out there, but whether we're going to invest in January, I don't know. Yeah, we shall see. I think it is definitely needed. I think we, uh, we've got the roots there. We need to push on forward. I think we can definitely fight for top four, as you said, Dave, definitely. Yeah. But um, that will be the end of the show now. That was a very special episode. Thank you very much, Dave. But firstly, thank you, Guy, for joining us. Cheers. And um, make sure you also follow us on social media, Bailey Keogh underscore, uh, underscore and Guy Clark 05. And for more updates on Dave's book, follow him on Twitter, GunnarDave66. And make sure to watch out for the launch on Saturday as well of Murthy Saka for the signing launch at the Emirates Stadium in the Armory. That will be very good to see. So make sure you pop down there and have a go. But more, But also, guys, make sure you keep following us down the Arsenal way.